sometimes we may take for granted. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ gathered together for the praise and worship and the growing of the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. So many around the world would give anything to be able to do what we're doing here this morning. So Lord, I pray that we would hang on the words of God. We would hang on each passage and know that it is worthy to be here to be honored, to be taught the word of God, and to hear it, to receive it, to obey it, to apply it. And so, Lord, give us strength to enjoy that this morning. And help us to apply it as we go out these doors and live it out. We thank you for the encouragement how this church does live out the word of God. We are so grateful for the ministry of so many homes opened up to foreigners, Lord. People we don't even know opened into the homes of some of our members, Lord. We thank you for that, Lord. Lord, we ask that you be with those who cannot be here, even as we're reminded of our shut-in ministry this morning. Um, we pray for them, Lord. Many who are watching today, um, some can't even watch, Lord. They're just waiting for you to take them home. And so we pray for them in a special way, Lord. Father, we think of the other end of life and many moms who are pregnant in this room, Lord, expecting children. Some who have already birthed them, we thank you for those young families, Lord. And we thank you that they can raise their families in a church that teaches the word of God and proclaims the glory of Jesus Christ in music and song. And I pray that you would use this church for many, many generations until you return, Lord. Lord, I thank you for comforting those who are hurting. Some have lost this week in different ways. I pray you'd wrap your arms around them through the word today. They would be comforted. They would know that you are a great God who loves them, who have spoken to them individually through the word of God. And they would be comforted with those truths, Lord. Now, Lord, hear our preaching of your word. It is your word, not ours. May it glorify and magnify you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to finish the sermon I started almost a month ago. Uh, I will get into Advent preaching next Sunday. Um, but I want to finish the sermon I started called Loving the Sufficiency of the Word of God. I last preached it at the beginning of November. Then we had an outdoor service. We had a Thanksgiving service and I was gone. And so I'm back to it. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. I will be uh, in that passage that Pastor Brian read uh, so graciously this morning. Um, I'm going to get to that passage of Psalms 19 in this message. And, uh, but I want to start in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 through 20. Again, I love preaching on these topics, uh, preaching on the love of Christ, now the love of the Word. And then eventually, after the first year, I'm going to be on the love of the church, love of His people. Uh, and so we, we find great comfort in this. As I started this series on this section of, of loving the Word... I spoke last time about how, as we see in verse 16, that there are cleverly devised tales. Satan loves to uh, provide cleverly devised tales. He loves to lead people close to the truth and then turn them away. He does that very, very well, and he does that, does that often through religion. But as we mentioned in that first sermon, we realized there were many things that uh, help subvert the sacred word of God away from believers. Well, how often believers will not understand the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. 
because of different things that plague the church. We talked about the worldly business model that has made its way into the church. It's become more of a business than the very bride and body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about the preoccupation with our own glory. Very concerned what people think about us and how we look and how we dress and how we eat and who we associate with and so forth. And that has caused great problems and has introduced a high value on entertainment within the church of America today. We talked about a growing boredom with a pure teaching of God's word. Man wants his ears tickled whether they understand it or not. They want to hear something that makes them feel good, feel better about themselves versus going through the Bible verse by verse, understanding what God has to say. And the American church has grown bored with the pure teaching of God's word. We also looked at things like the rejection of God's family, his ordained family he has written in the scriptures. Many things like that are pulling people away from the word of God, away from the church, because they they just can't quite match up what's going on in their hearts or their families with what the Bible says. God's very clear about the origin of the family and what is to look like. Then finally, we ended up with looking at the struggles of a growing chemical dependency in our world and even in the church. Those things have take us away where we don't run to Christ, we don't run to the, uh, to the word, we end up running to the world in some way. All this has etched away at the sufficiency of scriptures in our mind. But we must be careful. Sin is powerful. It's deceptive. You know, the devil is called the deceiver of old. He's a deceiver. He wants to help you not put your trust in God's word. He wants you to be hurt easily. He wants you to lean on your own feelings and your own desires. The last thing he ever wants you to do is turn to God's all-sufficient word. And so sin is deceptive and it's powerful. And then you add our own flesh to that, right? We struggle with our flesh, don't we? Anyone here who's a Christian who knows the word of God knows that you struggle with your own flesh. There's a battle going on there, isn't there? There's a war between the flesh and the spirit, Galatians 5 says. And the the all-sufficient scriptures feed the spirit. That's what the spirit feeds on. That's what he gives us. Our flesh feeds on feelings and experiences and and frustrations and all of those things. We need the all-sufficient word of God every day in our lives. We battle these things in our life. And then comes these cleverly devised tales. Their absolute goal is to lead you away from the scriptures. Well, again, my goal this morning is to convince us to be students of the scriptures, to learn to love the sufficiency of God's word. That's the goal. I have no other plans but to help you and me love God's word more. I want you to grow in your confidence in the word. I meet too many people who say, well, pastor, I read it, but I don't understand. Ask the Lord to help you. If you're a believer and you have the spirit of God within you, he will not hide his word from you. So this morning, I want you to have confidence in the reading, the studying, the hearing, the understanding, the applying of God's word to our lives. Hebrews reminds us of the great truth of God's word, and I was dwelling on this verse this week, and I I thought, Lord, this is where our strength 
where we want to be strengthened in our commitment to the word of God. Hebrews 4, 12 says this, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. It means it can get us either way. It can go right to the middle of us, right? Piercing as far as the division of the soul and the spirit of both joints and marrow, able to judge, listen to this, the thoughts and the intention of our heart. You want to get real with God? Let the word of God get deep in you. Let it go down to the center. Let it get to the heart of the issue. And then you'll stop blaming everybody else. You'll start, oh God, I need your mercy. Help me live for you. And you'll find great strength in the scriptures. Verse 13 goes on to say, there is no creature hidden from his sight. Hmm. You know, we think we sin in silence, don't we? We think our sin is not known. God sees it all. And yet he loves us. Back, the writer goes on to say, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him we have to do. So we're on that topic of sufficiency of scriptures, and this is a great passage. Look at with me, for, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. Let me just read this quickly, and then we'll work our way through this. Also jump into that text that Pastor Brian read, uh, because it flows so nicely and helps us grasp the depth of the scriptures. Verse 16, for we did not follow cleverly devised tales. When we made known to you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such as utterances as this was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. No prophecy ever was made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. When you do a word study on the sufficiency of scriptures, there's many Greek words that lead you to this. Each and every one of those Greek terms and words lead you to this understanding. The English would put it this way. The word of God is complete. It is lacking nothing. It lacks nothing. It has everything we need. But we... (laughs) We are sometimes, in our struggles, we struggle to apply that sufficiency to our life. When Paul was dealing with the very errant Corinthian church, you remember this, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he wrote a chapter about love to them. That was one of their issues. They didn't love Christ, and they didn't love his word, and they failed to love each other, and that came out very much in the book. And so he repins a whole part of that letter, we call it chapter 13, on love. At the bottom of that, he says this, and this is such important when we start to think about the sufficiency of scriptures. He says this, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. In other words, when love fails, so does our view of the sufficiency of scriptures. We're not maturing in our view of God. When love fails for Christ, love fails for his word, love fails for one another, our view of Scripture, and by that, our view of God, will de-elevate. It happens all the time. 
when we go through a struggle, when we're not loving as God wants us to, we now, we now change our view or we do not go to the scriptures for help in those times. But the Bible also says that when I became a man, I did away with child's things. And so when true love is applied, love for Christ, love for his word, love for his people, we approach the scriptures differently. We see them priceless. In fact, they're like air to us. Do you think of the scriptures that way? Are the scriptures like air to you? Or do you think how long, you can, how long can you live without air? <laughs> Go ahead, start. See, that's what happens. When our love for Christ and our love for scriptures and our love for one another grows, this deep abiding desire to know this God and Savior who comes in a manger to this earth to live a sinless die, life, die a perfect death, to secure our eternity forever, that becomes marvelous. And you start to see that message all through the scriptures. Because you're in them, and you believe them. Now, if we're honest, if we're honest, I want you to work with me on this. We can look back at events in our lives where we failed to trust the Word of God. Do you know those areas? You see, when we did that, it led us to decisions that we would do differently now. So here's my point. As we grow in our union with Christ, the sufficiency of God's word will become more powerful to us. But there are times early on, um, or, or <laughs> unfortunately maybe later on, that we did not trust the word of God, so it led us to a poor decision, and we often suffer consequences for this. Are there areas, I want you to think about this with me. I had to wrestle with this myself. Is there an area in your life or a decision that you've made that now because you have a deeper love for God's word, you would have done differently? Think about that. What? what to put some, get to somewhere now. Get, get your mind somewhere where you go, yes, I would have done that very differently. Now, don't say, I wouldn't have married him. <laughs> That's not where we're going with this. Think of an area where you said, God, at this point in my life, right here at that time, I made decisions outside of seeking your all-sufficient word of how to deal with that. If you're like me, there's probably many. But you did not go to the word of God. You did not seek him. Here, our God who loves us, who has given us a perfect manuscript to know him and know his will for our lives, we did not search him. And we find ourselves now stuck wrestling with these cleverly devised tales that run through our minds, and we start to battle our minds on what people think of us and how we should have done this or that, and, and oh, if I can get back to them, and all that stuff starts to plague you because we didn't turn to the word, can you think of those areas? Can you think of them right now? Now certainly a lot of these things are tied to experiences, aren't they? And there's nothing wrong with experiences, right? We live in this world, we're flesh and blood, we breathe, we eat, we're, we're alive, right? And we have experiences. But the power of the experience is it greater than the word of God. That's, that's what we come down to. And I, and I think that's what this verses, these first few verses are about, they're about the impact of our experiences in the view of the scriptures. 
how do the scriptures balance out or help us understand what is going on in our life and how we can trust the Lord through those things. Now, I love experiences. I think they're wonderful. I have some wonderful experiences in my life that I thank the Lord for daily. But experiences cannot be elevated above God's word. And I think that's what's going on here in this text. Look with me at the first thought. I don't know if I got these in. Yep, I did. They, <laughs> to the to people upstairs. Number one, the glorious uh, experience of witnessing and knowing the revealed person of Christ. Look at verse 16 with me here. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now notice again this cleverly devised tales. The apostles were very clear that they weren't going to spin some emotional based story in order to gain followers and fans here. Oh, what they saw on that Mount of Transfiguration. That's what this text is about. It's pointing back to that. Oh, what they saw. And it's clear that they were being challenged. Somebody was challenging the Apostle Peter here as he's responding by the work of the Spirit here in his life to pin this on what happened on that mount, what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. But this was truly a glorious experience, and it left this indelible impression upon them as they saw the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his glory. This is why John pins John 1.14, that they beheld the Word, right? They, he, the Word became flesh and they beheld Him. They, they saw who He was. They understood His shared nature of, of, of with the Father. He, he had everything the Father had. He was full of grace and truth. John later wrote that we touched Him in, in the first epistle, chapter 1, he, they touched him, they felt him, they heard him, they saw, they, 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 they experienced this word of life. And notice the apostles had such an amazing event. Look at verse 17. And this helps you understand when this, what's taking place here, what he's looking back to. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. That's the Father, right? This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance. This is quite an experience, isn't it? This is an amazing thing. It was made from heaven. When we were with him, that's Jesus, on the holy mount. So what an amazing experience. Look at Matthew 17. Just look at that very quickly because I want to refresh your minds of what they're talking about. Only three men that were on the earth, two that came with Jesus that appeared, Moses and Elijah, but only three men who went on to live on this earth longer are able to witness such an amazing story, an amazing event, an experience. Look at Matthew 17, verse 1. Six days later, Jesus took with him, Peter, James, and John, that's the inner circle, that's the leaders among the leaders there, his brothers, his brother, that's John, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. You can see he was doing something. He wanted these, something to impact these three men. He wanted them to see something so that they would go on and tell this story and point it back to scriptures. This was his goal. Verse 2, and he was transfigured before them. The, the word transfigured means the idea of unveiled unshrouded. The full nature of the Lord Jesus Christ that he shares that deity and nature with the Father was now revealed to these three men on this mount. 
Notice his face shone like the sun. Well, I won't challenge you because maybe some of you might do this. Don't go out and look at the sun. You can't. It's, it's, it's unfathomably bright. It'll burn your retinas. And yet the Bible says this is how his face shone in the presence of these three men. And his garments began, became as white as light. The other uh, writers record that like no laundering could ever do. They were so white. Verse 3, behold, Moses and Elijah appeared with them, talking with them. These are men of great faith who followed God by faith, not by sight. Peter said to Jesus in verse 4, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. This whole desire to worship just comes exploding out of these three men. Verse 5, and while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, the voice of the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. What a statement. And when the disciples heard this, they fell, they fell face down to the ground. And were terrified. And Jesus came and touched them. He said, Get up and do not be afraid. And lifted up their eyes. They saw no one except Jesus himself alone. Coming down off the mountain, Jesus commanded them to tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. They were to keep this quiet. The disciples asked, why do the scribes say this? And then they went on to this conversation. And here's my point. Just a few weeks later, they denied this one. Now, that's probably the most purest experience you could ever go through. There was no sin in it. It's just the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ unveiled before these humans, these ones who are desperate of that one to go and die for them. And yet just a few weeks later, this amazing emotional experience could not keep them from denying the Lord. Peter went on to say, Lord, I'll go to prison. I'll even die for you. He says, no, you won't. You'll deny me three times before the cock crows. The Bible says that all of disciples left him. Strike the shepherd and the sheep flee. And so here, with an amazing experience, with the disciples seeing all that they saw, Christ exposed in such a way, such an amazing experience, they actually need it more than that. Would you say that? Would you, I mean, when you think about it, why would you need more than that? Because that's what the scriptures say. They need it more than that. They need it the more sure thing, the word of God. And so this amazing experience the disciples had on the Mount of Transfiguration wasn't enough. They needed the more sure word, and that leads me to point two. There, came, there can be no greater experience than knowing our God and Savior through his all-sufficient word. Look at verse 19 with me. It's interesting here as we get ready to read this verse, Peter is not defending their experience. He's not defending that. In fact, he's turning to the sufficiency of the word of God. Look at verse 9. For we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the dawn, day dawns and the morning the star arises where? In your hearts. You need the word of God, the prophetic word more sure. 
too many emotionally based Christian, uh, Christianity is, is now taking to root uh, around the world. And it can't give you peace. It can't give you truth. Too many people come to church looking for some kind of spiritual cheer. They need a spiritual cheerleader up there to rah-rah them on. And, and the word of God isn't enough. You're never going to beat that experience that Peter, James, and John had until you go and see him yourself someday. And yet, they said, we have something more sure. We're going to put our hope in the word of God. This is how you find yourself set free, not by some emotional relationship with Christianity or some emotionally based relationship with Jesus. You need truth to set you free. Jesus said that in John 8, 31. If you, now listen to this. If you continue in my word. Hmm. He doesn't say if you continue in your experiences. And oh, how I feel. No, no. Jesus himself said if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Man, that's like drawing a line in the sand, isn't it? Religion is everywhere. Man is religious. God made him that way. He's made to worship. He just wants to worship himself. God says, look, if you want to truly be a disciple of mine, you continue in my word. In the word, not not in your experiences. They're going to let you down. You're going to fail yourself. We're we're fleshly. We battle with these cleverly devised schemes of Satan, right? We battle with those things. We're going to break our own hearts at times. Oh, the word of God will not do that. It's more sure. Jesus later said that his disciples were not of the world even as he was not of the world. And he says to the Father in that great high priestly prayer in John 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. You want truth today? You ain't going to get it in this world. They're so far apart right now, they're falling off the edges. You want truth? Get in your Bible. Get in it every day. Read it, study it, know it, apply it. Put yourself under it, and you'll be set free by that truth. Notice in verse 19, he says, to which you would do well to pay attention. This morning, again, I want, I want you to think of some areas in your life. Go back to this, where you fail to trust in the all-sufficient scriptures. See, the Bible says you would do well to pay attention to it. Let me give you maybe some categories to help you. Fearful areas. Where are you fearful of? And men, this isn't a this isn't a ladies thing. Us and our macho ness <laughs> hide behind some things of fear, don't we? We're afraid we can't make ends meet. We're afraid of some of the things that often go through our minds and hearts. So I want you to think where you don't trust, where I too do not trust God's word when it comes to things in my life. Is it some kind of fearful area? Is it an area of frustration? Maybe you're frustrated with something or someone or something or some way God has not met what you want. You've not turned to his word to understand that he causes all things to work together. Maybe it's an area of temptation. You're finding yourself in temptation right now. Sexual temptation. Materialistic temptation. 
something's pulling you away, it is only the word of God that's going to set you free from that. Temptations are like cords that wrap around you and pull you a place you do not want to go. It is only the word of God who will, which will take out those and cut those binds. You have areas of temptation. You have areas where you try to solve something on your own. We call it uh, the six solace, sola bootstraptus. You try to pull yourself up by your own boots. That's what many of us were taught, right? A lot of us were raised in different maybe times than now, right? There was, wasn't constant entertainment. Um, you were taught, hey, you fall down, get up. I mean, dad was hard on us, right? Some of you know that. And then you brought that into Christianity. And so when you fall, you try to fix it. And it just gets worse. Because you can't fix sin. There's only one who can do that. So what areas today where the sufficiency of scriptures are not strong enough for you? You've not turned to them. I want to put those struggles up against the word of God. And I want you to turn to that text that Pastor Brian read. Psalms chapter 19. Probably my favorite passage in scripture. I think probably the most descriptive passage of the nature of the sufficiency of God's word. Many of you are familiar with this passage. The first six verses are on general revelation. You would connect that to Romans chapter 1, that man is without excuse. There's a great connection between uh, Psalms uh, 16, 1 through 6, and Romans chapter 1. The heavens tell the glory of God, and man is without excuse that there is a God. But then David moves by the inspiration of the Spirit into what we call special revelation. And here he begins to speak about the Word of God. Now, they did not have the entire book written at that time. They had portions of it, but they held what they had in great esteem and saw it as completely sufficient. Now, he's going to speak about this, and I hope this will encourage your heart. There's words here that he describes the word of God, things that are synonymous with the word of God. Then he's going to tell us about characteristics that the word of God has. And then he's going to give us application. He's going to give us benefits, beneficial application to each statement. Notice in verse 7, he says, the law of the Lord is perfect. Let me start with the law. When you think of law, you run to the Ten Commandments, don't you? No, no, be careful. Oh, God's word, God's law is so much bigger than that. God's law is all that he says. The word is Torah in the Hebrew there, and it means his didactic instructional truth. The didactic instructional truth of God is perfect. That's the characteristic of it. It's perfect. It's perfect in every way. It has no blemishes. It's flawless. It's blameless. It's associated with sacrifice before God. That's where that word gets used at. So the didactic instruction Word-by-word instruction to us from God is perfect. And notice what it does, it restores the soul. Word is reviving. I wonder how many in this room need their souls revived. You're struggling. There's battles going on in your heart and mind that maybe even your spouse doesn't even know. There's nothing that's going to restore you. There's nothing that's going to revive you more than God's word. It'll take your broken heart and mend it. It'll take your bruised soul and 
and heal it. That's what God's word's about. Notice the next line there. The testimonies of the Lord are sure. Here, testimony refers to God's divine witness. See, remember that the Bible says that God had not, not to swear by anyone else or anything else. He swears by himself, right? You can't do that. <laughs> I don't even know what they do in the court of law now. I'm, I'm not sure they're putting their hands on Bibles or anything. But you certainly can't go in there and judge, I swear by myself. On my own self, my own person. Throw him out. It's untrustworthy, untrustworthy witness. God is the only one who can swear by himself. He has a testimony of his own witness. It's perfect. So the word of God is the testimony, the divine witness of the Lord. And notice that it's sure. Yasher is the Hebrew word here. It means standard. His word is the standard, not yours. Not Riverbend Church. It's the word. This is the standard for your life. This is your standard for your living Notice it rejoices the heart. Rejoices the heart. What an amazing reminder. The Hebrew phrase is connected to the word to flood something. There's a flooding of joy when you get in the word. There's a flooding of joy in our hearts. We're going to sing a lot about joy to the world, right, in the next coming weeks. Love it. You want, your, you want your soul flooded with joy? Turn to the divine witness of God. His Bible. His word, he'll give that to you. Notice the next one, eight, verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right. Here we talk about the divine principles or divine direction of his word. You know the Bible has a direction. It's just not aimlessly telling you stories and events. It has a direction. And from the beginning it was about Jesus. And it's about Jesus all the way through. And those who were here Friday night, you saw that as Sean walked you through the Old Testament pointing forward towards this coming of Christ. There's, there's no one else who could fulfill that but the Lord Jesus Christ. He's promised in the worst situation in the world when they fell in the garden. And then why it's the worst? Because they had the best. Promised one who would crush the head of the serpent. This is the precepts, the directions of the word. Notice they're right. The word means that they're reliable and stable. Notice that because of this, they, oh man, I missed, I'm sorry, I, I got over my lines. Rejoicing the heart. There's that flooding of the soul. Let me go back to making wise and simple. I'm sorry, I missed that. I have so much scribbling in my Bible on this passage, I can almost not see it. Let me go back to the testimonies of the Lord is sure, making wise and simple. Oh, I'm sorry I made that mistake because I, I love this phrase. Psalms 116 verse 6 says, the Lord preserves the simple. The divine witness of the Lord, which is sure and reliable, makes wise the simple. If you're a parent in here and you have a child I think these verses are precious. If you know someone that we would maybe say that they are special needs, these verses are precious. If you think about someone who is illiterate or someone that is in a country where education is not very strong 
and yet the divine witness, the divine truth of God is given, it can take what we would call the most simple and make them the greatest. I have so many examples of this. I did ministry for a long time, and some of you have heard the story on a place called Mountain Jewel Ranch. And it was a home for mostly, uh, it was started with missionaries and pastors who children were special needs, and they were on the fields, and they just got to a point where they needed someone who would graciously and lovingly care for them. We drove every other Thursday two hours to do a Bible study with them. None of them could read. They were in their 50s and 60s. One man was in his 70s. And let me tell you, those people loved the Lord Jesus Christ. They knew they were sinners. They knew Jesus died for them. And they knew he was their only hope to go to heaven. The word of God makes wise the simple. I've asked so many people, I've, even here, I've said, hey, would you come up, share your testimony? Would you, would you get involved? Would you disciple? You do, oh, pastor, I can't do that. That verse says you can. That verse says that you can sit down with somebody, open your Bible, and tell them what the Bible says, even if they can't read. So that's why I love our Sunday school ministry. That's why I love our children's workers down there, our special needs workers. See, they take the Word of God each and every Sunday, and there they explain it to those who, who yet we don't know if God has opened their mind to them, but, but when we know when He does, He takes the simple, He makes them tremendously wise. In fact, I think they're much wiser than one of the people who think they're the most wisest in this world. They'll go to hell. The people with their wards and all their letters behind their name will go to hell, and God will rescue the simple because they believe God's Word. I'm so sorry, I had the order messed up. Let me go back. Um, sure is the idea of uh, reliable and stable. Eight precepts of the Lord, these divine directions are, are right. That's the word yasher there. Um, these are the standards. And notice they rejoice the heart. They flood the heart with joy. Next one, the commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. These are the divine decrees of God. God has lots of divine decrees, just not ten of them. He decrees stuff about himself. He's the almighty. He's the all-knowing. He's everywhere. Those are all decrees of God. You either love them and accept them and submit to them or you rebel against them. But the Bible says that these divine decrees of the Lord are pure. The idea of the word here is genuine. It's devoid of any impurities. There's no evil. It's the idea that word we get innocence from. The Bible is innocent. Isn't that it? You ever thought about it that way? The Bible's innocent. It has no evil. It, it reports evil. It shows what man is capable of doing. But the Bible itself it has no evil. It's innocent. Where are you going to find that? What publication? What news are you going to watch? Where are you going to go get something that's so innocent and pure than the Bible? Oh, that's God's word. Notice it enlightens the eyes. This is the word we get for illumination. The, the Hebrew word actually means to make daylight. You live in darkness right now? You got some dark things going on in your life? You want to come into the light? Go to the word. It'll help you understand your issues and your struggles and what that person needs whom you love and want to care for. It'll help you in all those areas. It'll enlighten you in all those things. The fear of the Lord is clean. 
here, this is divine awe. The Bible produces worship. Do you know that? If you don't read it and it doesn't produce worship, you didn't read it right. It's a book about God. It's a book about who he is. And when you read it, you should go, wow, God. I bend the knee to you for all that you are and all that you've done and all that you have done for me. And notice that this divine worship that comes from the word is clean. Again, this is the same word used for sacrifice. You brought a clean sacrifice to the Lord. You didn't bring a blemished one. The word of God is clean. It's, it's ready to be presented before the Lord. You know you can always, you don't know anything to say to the Lord, just say this. Just say the scriptures to God. They're clean, they're pure, and they're innocent. Sometimes I don't know what to pray on the difficult situa- situations, and I just pray the scriptures. Because I know my prayer is pure. They're from the word of God. Notice these words, endure forever. What a statement. They're immutable. The word of God is immutable. It does not change. Notice in verse 9, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The judgments is divine verdicts of the Lord. God's judgments are perfect. And you may have family members who don't like those judgments. And you need to be loving and careful and listen and, and not be the judge. Let the word of God be the judge. That will happen. You can let that happen. You can be loving and caring because you probably have family like us that have got themselves caught up in immorality in some way. You can be loving, but your word of God will bring the judgment. It will do it. And all you have to say is, hey, friend, I love you. Here's what God's word, how can I help you understand this? What are your views and how do, how do you hold to your views? What's, what's your standard? What are you standing on? And will that last? Let, let me show you what I stand on. And you can do that in a loving way because his divine verdicts are true. Notice that word, they're faithful, they're reliable is the idea here. And I love this last benefit, they're righteous all together. They perfectly suit what God want it without error. That's where they come. And then we have some results of them. Look at these quickly. Verse 10, they are more desirable than gold. Yes, than fine gold. That's an incalculable wealth. What if you could get your hands on the most finest gold in the world? There's always somebody trying to sell it to you right now, right? The economy says, I get gold. This is what the Bible says. This is gold. An incalculable investment. There's no greater wealth than you can have than this. Men and women around the world um, in persecuted places have begged for one page of this Bible at times. And we have several on our shelves. It's incalculable. Notice it is very pleasurable. It's too sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. There is a satisfying pleasure here when we when we submit to the sufficiency of scriptures, you'll find great pleasure there. Verse 11, moreover, by, your, by them your servant is warned. Look at that great protection. He'll warn you of things. Oh, oh, young person, don't go there. <laughs> oh, that's going to have consequences. Oh, faithless one. About ready to do something you should not do. It's warned you, no, no. No, no, that's not of God. Sin will bring consequences. See, the Bible, when you know the Bible, it helps you not go down that path or that one, but go down the one God has for you. You want to find the center of his will? It's right here. 
You've got to know it and you've got to read it. Notice that is great reward in keeping them. Then there's great reward. What great profit. The Hebrew actually says it has the idea of the greatest end to it. The greatest end of the scriptures of living a life has the greatest reward. It leads you to the presence of God. Verse 12, who can discern his errors? Acquit me of my hidden faults. I, I love this particular verse. It, it, the Bible tells me here that God's words will lead me to the solution of sin that I'm even blind to. Every one of us have us. Usually our spouse know more than we do. Or your friends or somebody. But you all have blinders and so do I. And that, that's why they're called blinders. Word of God peels those back. And you can see where you're offensive. Where you're wrong, where you're insensitive, where you're unloving, where you don't care. Where you don't trust God's word. When you read this, it exposes us to those things, those things we can't see, but also the things we can see, verse 13. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sin, sin we know of. David says, oh, God. He, he, he turns to God and he says, cleanse me, purge me. He knew what he did with Bathsheba. He, he turns to God and he embraces the word of God and wants cleansing. Later, he says, search me and know me and see if there's any wicked way within me. Notice what results in that. They won't rule over you. Isn't that good? Anybody in here tired of their sin ruling over them? You say, well, I, I believe in Jesus. My sins are, I get that. I understand that. But you and I got struggles, don't we? And we know what they are. Are you tired of that? Turn to the word of God. Then I will be blameless. So David is saying, let not my sins rule over me, but let me be forgiven and free from them. Verse, into verse 13, and I shall be acquitted with great transgression, of great transgression. I'll be free of them. And then finally he just says this, let your word, now this is it, this is where it all comes to. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. I wrote in my Bible a long time ago, God, let my words be your words and my thoughts be your thoughts. I think that's what David's saying. And the only way you're going to know the thoughts and words of God is you've got to read this thing. You've got to believe it. And you've got to commit it to memory. I may not get through this, but Psalms 119, go there with me real quickly, because I just, I want to give you some, I, I think Psalms 19 is a book of application. 119, excuse me. And I want to just go down through this quick. I thought of many areas that the Word of God will help you this morning. Uh, Psalms 119 has to be just a parallel text, the greater sermon to Psalms 19, I think, in so many ways. And it calls you to come to the Word of God. And in a sense, I think it's, it's just calling you time and time again. So I wrote this in my notes. One, come let the Word of God nourish your dry soul. Drop down to verse 25. I'm going to work through this. and Put your finger on each of these verses. Psalms 119, 25. Is your soul dry and need nourishment. My soul cleaves to the dust. Maybe that's you this morning. Revive me according to your word. Verse 29, come to the word of God. It points you to the wrong beliefs and actions. Verse 29, remove the false way from me and graciously grant me your law, your divine teaching, your divine instruction. 
Verse 37, come to the word of God and let it redirect your wayward eyes. Verse 37 says, turn, turn away my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your word. Verse 49, come to the word of God and be filled with hope. Verse 49 says, remember the word of your servant in which you have made me hope. Verse 50, come to the word of God and comfort you in times of trouble. This is my comfort and my affliction that your word has revived me. The word has revived me. Same language. Verse 62, come to the word of God and stimulate your joy of praise. Verse 62, at midnight I shall rise to give you thanks because of your righteous ordinances. Another words uh, synonymous with the word of God. Come to the word of God and reassure yourselves in times of pain and suffering. Drop down to verse 75. Do you have pain? Do you have suffering? I know, O oh Lord, that your judgments are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Oh, there's a different view. Oh. Maybe what we're going through is God allowing it to happen. Maybe he's trying to draw us into his word. 97, come to the word of God and let it be your daily thought. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day long. Verse 100, come to the word of God and grant you deep wisdom and understanding. I understand more than the age because I have observed your precepts. Psalms 119, 103, Come to the word of God and feed your starving soul. Verse 103, how sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey of your mouth. Oh, there's so many. There's things about a weary body. There's things about temptation and societal pressures. There's things about our coming inheritance. There's verses on a discouraged heart. There's ones that need peace in their life. There's verse after verse after verse. And you know what? The prophets loved this and they ate it up. Jeremiah said, your words were found and I ate them. And your word became to me joy and delight of my heart, for I am called by your name. Ezekiel 3, both these men had tremendously difficult ministries. He said to me, son, feed your stomach and fill your body with the scrolls which I am giving you. I ate them and they were like sweet honey. Job in his despair and suffering said, I have not departed from the count, I have not departed from the command of his, God's lips, and have treasured the word of his mouth more than my necessary food. I hope that encourages you. Last thought as you go back to uh, first, uh, second, second Peter chapter 1, verse 20. I just want to conclude this. and Next week I promise we'll speak on the Advent. Second Peter, the last couple of verses are worth looking at quickly before we sing a closing song. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, but for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Our third thought is the process of inspiration that creates the inerrant Scriptures glorifies its author. I want you to see in these first two verses, these last two verses, verse 20, Peter is going to tell us what scriptures are not. Notice the scriptures are not, they did not originate with men. They're not man's message. And the truth that they preach 
and revealed are not theirs, but they're God's. That's what he's saying. Notice it says scripture does not come to be or is made by the act of human will. You have to understand that. If you're here today and you struggle with the, with the Bible and you just, you said you just can't get your mind around it. So many young people have said, oh, it's written by human authors and so forth. This text flies in the face of that. And again, it's all by faith. You have to believe this. Or you can go your way and trust in your own, your own solid ground. Is your ground solid? Stand on that then. And see how that weighs out and time goes on and, and in judgment. But here it tells us it doesn't come by ourselves. Scripture is not a result of human enterprise. Notice this, of one's own interpretation. The term here refers to the idea of having one's own ideas or one's own endeavors. And then notice 21, Scripture is not the result of human decision or an act of human will. So that's what Peter says the Scripture is not. But here's what Peter says the Scripture is, verse 21. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. God completely and fully oversaw the scriptures. These are God's words, not ours. Men moved. That's supernatural. The word moved means to be ruled over. He, he overruled them in a sense. He set a destiny on its object. He moved them. Phero is the Greek word. It means to be carried along, to convey, or to be born something with speed and force. The Holy Spirit moved them to write. These authors, by the sovereign hand of God, were lifted and carried along by the Holy Spirit. So at the same time, they spoke and wrote what God wanted and what they wanted. Isn't that amazing? How can that happen if it wasn't supernatural? How can Paul write what God wanted and what he wanted? Because the Holy Spirit was doing the writing. And that's why we have such great Bibles. Yeah, the Word of God is given to us. To know Him, to love His Son, to love His Word, and to love one another. Father... Well, thank you for this time, Lord. I know I've gone long today. We're in a crisis, Lord, in the world. It's even a crisis in the churches that fill America's cities and towns. We've become irreticulars, Lord. And Father, the church is suffering because of it. People suffer. Council suffers. Because people are not turning to the word of God. And I pray, Lord, you would not let that happen here. Cause us to be men and women, boys and girls, young people of the word. Let us take those fears and anxieties and temptations we were all thinking about today. And may we run to your word for help. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.